Welcome to Chapter by Chapter. I am your host, Brian Thomas Kropp, and I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good, and so I write them, and I enjoy sharing them with you. And if you are new to the show, uh, how this goes is in just a moment, you will hear a chapter from a story that I have written. In this case, it is uh, a chapter from Shell Game, which is part two of the Pearl Saga. And then on the other side of that chapter, I will go into a little bit of behind the scenes, kind of what went into uh, the stew while uh, this book was being made, so to speak. So if you like behind the scenes, how movies get made or how really anything gets made, uh, then this uh, this show may be of interest to you. Uh, where we are in Shell Game, uh, Shell Game is a detective noir mystery sci-fi fantasy thing. I don't know really how to categorize it, but it centers around a detective in Athens, Kansas. His name is Evan Gold, and he is trying to find uh, who killed his partner. And uh, there's been a couple of other murders around town, and there's this strange pearl that has um, contacted him and is talking to him, and he's really having quite a weird week. Um, and uh, if he can get the police off of his back... Uh, he might be able to find the real killer before the police think that it's him. So uh, we've been in a long scene over the last uh, several episodes where he's hanging out at night in his apartment and he's trying to get to the bottom of some things. So he got his client, Claire Porter, and this other yahoo named Daryl Huber into the room, uh, but then uh, the police showed up and while Evan was trying to get the police uh, to go away from uh, the apartment, and just to be clear, this is like 2, 3 in the morning, as he's trying to get rid of the police, they hear a loud crash and scream on the inside of the apartment, which gives the police permission uh, to come in. Uh, they didn't have a warrant, and now they don't need a warrant. So we're now going to see what happens when the police enter into uh, this whole mess and what transpires out of that. And we will get to Chapter 22 in Shell Game right after we hear from this week's sponsors. This episode is also sponsored by Showdown in the Yukon, the first book in the Pearl Saga. It is a story of Monterey Jack Danvers, who is a reformed pickpocket who is hired by his old partner in crime to help rescue a uh, stolen gold claim up in the Yukon Territory for a widow. He also finds the widow's daughter quite attractive and that helps him go on this adventure that takes him on uh, stormy seas, through caves, through forest fires and being hunted down um, in forests and all kinds of uh, great adventure. And the big question is, Will they be able to uh, rescue this gold mine, uh, this gold claim back from the evil man who uh, took it from this poor widow woman? And then what kind of man does Monterey Jack Danvers turn into by the end of uh, the story? It is also the prelude to uh, Shell Game Part 2 of the Pearl Saga. And you can find Showdown in the Yukon at Amazon.com. You can also find the links uh, to that over at BrianThomasCrop.com. Chapter 22. 
When he entered the living room with the two detectives, the sight Evans saw looked like a scene from a second-rate melodrama, perhaps the one Harold had seen earlier that evening. The table by the window had moved several inches to the interior, and the cheap porcelain vase gold bought at a different flea market in the vain hope he could brighten up the place lay scattered in a thousand pieces. Water from the vase made a dark blotch on the rug. The flowers, which had been a few days overdue anyway, lay at grotesque angles amid the shards. Evan recognized Harold's snub-nosed revolver lying among the flowers. Claire sat in a chair near the window, her knees pointed so that her back was to the men as they entered the room, her hands covered her face as she appeared to be sobbing. As for Harold Huber, he stood in the middle of the mess with his left hand holding a handkerchief over his right cheek. Evan noticed dots of red on the cloth. Lieutenant Short walked up to Huber and pulled his left arm away from his face, revealing the gash. The wound would heal without a doctor's help, but would leave a scar. What did you do to this woman? Short ordered. Let go of my arm, Harold yelped. You're hurting me. Short grabbed Harold's chin to get a better look at his cheek and asked, What did you do to her? Harold pulled against Short's grasp. I didn't do anything. From the looks of how you redecorated the place, I'd say something happened, Evans said and found a seat in the armchair. Claire lifted her head and turned to face the men. Her eyes were appropriately wet and frightened. She darted a pleading look over to Evan, who merely smiled and raised his eyebrows at her. How did you get this cut on your face then? Short continued his interrogation. She hit me. Her ring must have cut me. That's why I cried out, Harold said. That was you who screamed? Short asked, confused. It sounded like a woman. Evan stifled a laugh. Lieutenant Short let go of Harold's arm and turned to Claire. Is that true? Did you hit him? Again, Claire looked to Evan for help, but seeing none, turned to the detective and smiled delicately. Yes, officer, I, I hit him, but I swear it was out of self-defense, she said. You liar, roared Harold. Officers, you should lock both of these lunatics behind bars. He jabbed a finger in Evan's direction. He has hit me and gone through my pockets. Then he pointed at Claire, and this dragon lady grabbed my gun and hit me with it without provocation. I thought you said it was a ring, Abrams chimed in. They deserve the book thrown at them, Harold demanded. Is this your pistol, Gold? Short asked, pointing to the gun lying by the flowers. Evan shook his head. It's mine, Harold said. You have a license for it, I assume? Short asked. I do, Harold said, suddenly compliant. He reached in his coat pocket and produced the proper slip of paper. He then picked up his gun and slipped it into his coat pocket. All right, Short said, holding his hands up in the air. I want everyone over here, he pointed to the sofa, and we're going to get to the bottom of things. Claire and Harold made their way to the couch, sitting as far apart as possible. After Short got everyone's name jotted in his notepad, he said, Now, start from the beginning. Why are all you three together tonight? Harold spoke first. Mr. Gold invited me over. Why is that? Short asked. He didn't say exactly, said Harold. Only that they wanted to speak to me face to face. Uh-huh, Short said, looking at Claire while Harold was talking. And what happened when you got here? Well, officers, Harold said, getting agitated. They started asking me all kinds of questions, and they threatened to kill me if I didn't help them. You weasel! Claire lunged at Harold and smacked his cut cheek with her open palm before Abrams and Short could wrestle her off of him. 
Cool it, lady, Short said. Then, what's your side of things? Claire looked at Evan as she began to talk. It's true. We, that is, Mr. Gold and me, we, we wanted to see Mr. Huber here. She paused and placed her fingers on her forehead. I'm sorry. I'm... Evan, could you... Evan held up his hands. No, no, you're doing fine, my dear. Besides, I was at the door talking to the nice officers, remember? The smile on his face only seemed to increase her panic. Would it be fair to say, Abrams stepped in, that you do not feel safe here? Claire nodded and flashed her doe eyes at him. If that's true, miss, Short continued, if you're the victim here, how come this man cried out and not you? Claire seemed stuck in thought for an instant, but then recovered, saying, I did hit him. I don't know how he got the cut. She looked at Short's face. Thin skin, I guess. And then he tends toward the dramatic. You two-faced! Harold seethed, and the two nearly came to blows again. But Short and Abrams stepped in quickly to separate them. Once things had quieted down, Evan exhaled and said, Listen, Bobby, the woman here, she's a client. What? Harold exclaimed. Client? Harold turned to Claire with fire in his eyes. How did you get money to hire anyone? Maybe she has a secret stash she keeps from people like you, Harold. Regardless, she's a client, and she doesn't have to tell you anything. As for Mr. Huber over here, he said, waving his hand in the cut man's direction, whom I believe was a friend of the late Jason Charles, that may be irrelevant to the situation. Forget I said it. He hired me this morning to locate a certain item Charles was supposed to have on him. Naturally, I didn't want the case, not with you guys thinking I'm a murderer and all. But after talking with Miss Porter, I thought maybe we could help him out. So yes, I invited him over to further talk through the particulars. Why would it matter to her if you spoke to Huber or not? Short asked with a blank face. She has an interest in law enforcement and the criminal class, Evan said. Uh-huh. He came over. I questioned him, Evan said casually. Perhaps the information was harder to figure out than planned. I really can't say. I can't speak to what transpired while I was at the door. However, I am as shocked as you are that he would bring a loaded gun into a friendly conversation. Short turned to Harold and asked, You got anything you wish to add? Harold looked at Evan. His eyes gave the impression of fighting one round too long in the ring. You'll have to excuse me, he managed. I'm not sure how to answer your question. I think I'll... I'll have to think a moment. What's there to think about, Short asked. Is that hunk of malarkey he just told true or isn't it? Harold licked his dry lips. I really don't know what to say. Try the facts, Short huffed. You don't know this being new to town and all, but this character lives in such a way he is always one misstep away from actual jail time. Fact is, me and Detective Abrams have many questions about Mr. Gold's association with the murders of the past couple of days. If you know anything that could help us... Yeah, Bobby, Evan chimed in. That's a good idea. Take us all downtown. You didn't see what happened, and neither did I. And... As you and I both know, a he-said-she-said interrogation is never conclusive in the courtroom. I'm sure the DA would approve of the effort. Short looked at Evan, then at Claire and Harold in turn. Just as it looked like Short was about to speak, Evan burst into laughter. The suddenness of the laugh caught everyone so off guard, they all jumped just a little. <laughs> Can't you guys take a joke? 
Evan said when he had enough air. At the word joke, Claire and Harold joined him in the laugh, though with much less commitment to it. Listen, I apologize, but we were just having a bit of fun with you guys, Evan said. I figured who it was at the door. I mean, who else comes banging on my door in the middle of the night? I thought it'd break up the boredom a little if we had some fun at your expense. I hope you're not sore. At this, the energy Claire and Harold put into their performance increased. Detectives Abrams and Short seemed unmoved by this news. They looked at each other and then back to gold. Uh-huh, Short said. Hilarious. Tell me, if this was a joke, as you say, why is his face cut? Evan shrugged. Beats me. Maybe he cut himself shaving. Don't start with me, Gold, pointed Short. You're already on thin ice. This whole time you've been saying he got hit in the face. No, no, it's true, Harold said, standing. It was a, a harmless little joke. You know how it is when it's late and you're tired. You get a little loopy. We played a small prank. Me and Miss Porter were to get into an argument, and then I was to scream, as you say... Like a girl. It was going to be funny, but then... I'm so clumsy. Mr. Gold was speaking with you officers at the door. We were in the middle of the pretend fight, and my foot grabbed the leg of the table. I cracked my cheek on the table as I fell, and the vase fell over, too. Amazingly, I wasn't cut more than I am. Yes, monotoned short as he looked at Harold's sweaty and smiling face. Amazing. He turned his attention back to Evan. Listen, Gold, your lack of respect for the badge isn't going to make you any friends downtown. If you expect me to believe all of this, he swung his arms in broad gestures, this story you've concocted, Evan cut him off. You don't have to believe me, Bobby. You don't have to believe one syllable I've said or what any of us have said. But, Evan uncrossed his legs and leaned forward in his chair, this is the same story you'll hear out of each of us if you should be so bullheaded as to bring us to the station house. And if that's not good enough for you, as soon as we get finished there, I'll march over to the Gazette and tell them my story of police abuse and the Kansas City Star and any other newspaper I decide to remember at the time. I'm sure the DA would be thrilled at the additional publicity that would get him. The veins on Short's neck bulged in plump purple lines, snaking down his already red neck. In one furious step, he made it to Evan, grabbed him by the coat collars, and stood him up. What about the gun, smartmouth? Why was there a gun loose on the floor? The humor was gone from Evan's face. Maybe it was a plant. Maybe you put it there. For that matter, maybe it's the one that killed Charles. Short's right fist connected with Evan's chin. The punch caught Evan slightly off balance, but his whole body was rigid and ready for a fight an instant later. He clenched his fists but kept them by his sides. The muscles of his jaw twitched and danced under the pressure of his clenched teeth. Lieutenant Abrams stepped in. Okay, all right. Let's not get... He put his arms between Evan and his partner. We should probably get going. No need to take this too far in the wrong direction. Abrams moved Lieutenant Short back far enough that no punches could get thrown without warning. He pulled out a pad and pencil from his jacket pocket. Where do you all lay your heads in case we need to find you later? He loosely pointed the pad at Harold. How about you go first? Harold unsuccessfully smoothed back his hair with his hand and took a breath before saying, I'm staying at the Webster Hotel. Fine, that's fine, Abrams said as he scribbled the words in his notebook. And you, miss... He addressed Claire. 
You can contact my office if you want to reach Miss Porter, Evan said, regaining his decorum. Abrams looked at Evan and raised his eyebrows. She's my client, remember? She has rights and privileges. You want her, you call me, understand? Evan said. All right, all right, Abrams said. You don't have to be like that, Evan. Just doing our jobs. I'm sorry, Steve, Evan said. It's been a long night. That it has. That it has, Abrams said, putting his pad and pencil back in his jacket. And I think we all would do well to call it a night as soon as possible. Come on, Bobby, he said, and walked past his partner on his way to the door. You're only delaying the inevitable gold, short hissed. You're going to be too clever. One time. Just one time. That's all it will take. Don't say I didn't warn you. Evan nodded. Come on, Bobby, Abram said. Let's go. Bobby Short glared at Evan. Yes, said Harold, standing up between Short and Gold. I think I will head out as well. This has certainly been an eventful night for me. What's the rush, Harold? Evan said. There was more we wanted to talk to you about. I'm sure you did, Harold said, bowing slightly. But it's late, and my mind is getting foggy. I'd be happy to continue our discussion after a few hours of sleep. Evan moved to where Harold's overcoat and hat laid. No problem, Mr. Huber. Let me get these for you. As he picked up Harold's things, Evan secretly lifted the gun from the coat and slipped it into his trousers pocket. Here you go. Evan helped Harold into his coat and handed his hat to him. Always a pleasure. Abram smiled at Harold and said, We would be happy to drop you at your hotel, Mr. Huber. We have to drive right by there anyway, and it will keep you from other unexpected adventures. You don't know how grateful I am, Detective, Harold said and walked out the door. Abrams turned to Evan and, with a face of a worried father, said, I hope you know what you're doing, Evan. Are we all just making it up as we go along, Steve? Evan said. Abrams raised his eyebrows and tilted his head to one side. You have a good night, Evan said. I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. With that, Abrams nodded and stepped into the hallway. Evan closed the door behind him. I would just like you to remember that the last words that Evan Gold, this would have been at the tail end of the previous chapter, the last words that Evan Gold gave to Claire and Harold were to remain calm. Um, we call that in the biz foreshadowing, for clearly that did not happen. Um, also, um, I, as I was re-listening uh, to this chapter, I I don't really know the answer to this, so I don't expect to write a story along these lines. But I am curious, what happened between Evan Gold and Bobby Short back there in the past, maybe back there in the police academy, that <laughs> Bobby Short has it in for Evan and really, really wants him to be guilty. I uh, just find that... Uh, very interesting. Um, and I enjoyed writing this chapter. If for no other reason, I got to be Evan Gold for a moment and just kind of sit back and watch all of these people uh, just knock their heads against each other. You've got uh, Harold, who is not a straight shooter, but he is more truthful than Claire. Claire 
just cannot figure out how to say what is actually going on. So we've got these two shady little liars in there and police officers who are desperately trying to arrive at truth and uh, seeing them be very sharp. I mean, there's all these different versions of reality being thrown out there and the police are very good about going, okay, but you left out that detail and how does that tie in? You left out that detail. So they're, they're very certain that the truth is not coming out from these two characters. And, uh, Evan just gets to sit back and enjoy uh, the crazy that happens. I do think though, uh, an important thing, cause I, I remember when we were doing, uh, drafts for this, this scene and a couple of other interactions between Evan Gold and the police were questions of, well, what does this communicate? So, like I say that stories are a source of good. Uh, what does this communicate uh, about how we should talk to the police? Like, shouldn't Evan be coming uh, as straightforward as possible uh, with the police? Um, he seems to kind of not be helpful. For them, and obviously, I would be telling my own kids. And I, if if a police officer was staring me down, I would be telling him a lot of a lot of true things. I don't want to be caught in a lie at all. Um, at the same time, the the uh, position that the police have been taking with Evan has been: let's figure out how uh, all of these facts work together to put you in jail. So I don't know that Evan has, uh, it's in his best interest to be, he's not trying to lie outright to the police, but he is trying to make their, their job difficult to buy him time to figure out what is really going on. I think he thinks that if he leaves it up to the police, he's going to jail because the DA is breathing down their neck and the easiest answer is him. And so he's trying to uh, kind of stiff arm them uh, to do that. So I don't necessarily recommend uh, his behavior, but that is uh, what is going on there. Um, uh, there is a... Um, uh, a funny story about cutting yourself shaving that I will now tell you, but it is why the line is in there. Um, there was, um, yeah, the, the moment when, uh, it says, well, how did he, how did he cut himself on the cheek? And then Evan says, well, maybe he cut himself shaving. So here's, here's, uh, this bizarre story from my past. Um, I used to be a part of a sketch comedy group called the Skidiots. If you've ever heard of the Skit Guys, um, you, sh you should definitely check them out if you haven't. But, um, they were a sister group with, uh, Skit Guys. And it was, uh, me, another guy, and a, and a gal would tour around mostly the southeast of the United States and we'd uh, do skits for church camps and uh, banquets at churches, that kind of thing. It was a church group. Um, and one of the the skills that we learned in the middle of that was to bring the audience into all of the jokes. So much like in a stand-up routine where you watch a comedian do something, and if they notice something interesting happening out in the crowd, they'll comment on it or use it in the act or something like that. Well, we kind of incorporated that. So it kind of went against a lot of the rules that you might have learned in a play that you did in high school or at church or something like that, where there is a wall that exists, an imaginary wall between uh, the, the actors on stage and the audience. And it doesn't matter what the audience does. You just keep the play going and you don't worry about it. Well, 
I had learned this skill where you do talk to the crowd and it was delightful and I enjoyed it and it it seemed much more honest um, because if someone's cackling in the background and you can't comment on it, that just seems like we're just going to ignore that that weird thing is going on. So fast forward uh, a little bit and my wife and I are volunteering at a community theater uh, in the area and they're doing an Agatha Christie play. Agatha Christie, if you don't know, was a writer of mysteries. And um, a lot of comedies have spun out of her style. So, like, things that you would know would be Murder on the Orient Express or Murder on the Nile. There's a lot to, if you saw the movie Knives Out, that has an Agatha Christie feel about it. But there were some tropes that became very, very Agatha Christie-ish. Um, that this particular play had all of them. So like the, the, you've got this group of kind of well-to-do British people stuck somewhere and they can't get out. So it's just, you know, it's all this locked door mystery kind of thing. And then someone leaves to go check on something and comes back and they say, uh, so where is Reginald? And they go, he's been murdered and the blackout. Um, you see that in a lot of comedies, this kind of overacted <gasps> murder mystery thing. But this play had them all, but they were dead serious. These were not jokes. These were just all of the tropes happened to be in one one place. So the cast was just rolling laughing because it was just so melodramatic. Well, there's this one moment where I'm playing the murderer, um, and the police are coming for me, and they're doing the, the investigation, and they're wondering, I have this uh, dinner jacket that I think is supposed to have a tiny amount of blood on it because of the murder that I committed. But uh, they're trying to figure out how the blood got on the jacket, which I think would then mean that the jacket is white so that you could see the blood on the jacket. The costumer picked out a black jacket, so there, there's problem number one. But then uh, I don't know who the person was in charge of the blood, but they read on some sheet somewhere that the jacket needed to be bloody and that I was the murderer. So they, <laughs> so great. Uh, they put a lot of fake blood on this black jacket. I mean, it glistened. It was a lot of blood. It wasn't dripping out of the fabric, but the audience could definitely tell there's a lot of blood uh, that was on this jacket. And the question comes, what about this blood on the jacket? And my response, the scripted response is, I cut myself shaving. Um, now, I say the line and it gets a laugh, which is not supposed to happen because you can see it's like a gallon of, of blood. If I had actually cut myself shaving, if the character had cut themselves shaving, they'd be dead. There was so much blood on this thing um, that it was all with, that I... I could not do it because I knew where I was, but I really wanted to just turn to the audience and say something like, I know, right? Like it was so obvious a goof um, that this moment came in the story um, where there's blood and all. I just, for my own amusement, had to throw that, that moment in there, but that's, that's why that ended up in there. And sometimes I think, you know, I, I write much of what I write happens early in the morning at a Panera in town 
and it's just me and my headphones and whatever's going on in my head as I'm visualizing uh, the scene. And so you just do some stuff to amuse yourself. And uh, that's what that is. So uh, if you are, are writing uh, anything, uh, have fun with it. Uh, for the most part, that first audience is you. And if you're not enjoying it, um, there, there's trouble there. So you're not, you're not going to write well, I guess, is the thing if you're not enjoying it. So you might, if you're, if you're not enjoying it, I heard someone say, just set it aside for a minute. Either write something else or do something else, but uh, pick it up when uh, you've got some some fun back in it. Um, but that's where we are with uh, a Shell Game so far. Um, and we are not done with this long night in the apartment of Evan Gold. We've been talking about this for uh, several chapters now where it's just this long, continuous scene, really, that's been broken up by several chapters. Mercifully... This one did not end in a cliffhanger, but we're not done uh, because now all these things have happened and Evan and Claire are uh, left in a room together and Evan really wants to get to the bottom of stuff. So we'll look at that next time. Uh, but that is the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you know all the things about the ratings and the reviews. So if you haven't yet, Please do so, whether it's on uh, this listening platform or on Amazon with the books. Uh, let your friends and family know. Uh, that would be a great encouragement. And, um, yeah, I think that's all I got. I, I feel so overwhelmed by the amount of little add-on announcements at the end of last week. I'm just going to pass on them. So if you want more announcements, go to the end of last week's uh, episode. Uh, but uh, for now, I hope you have a great week, and we will see you back here next time.